the memories. The clock is down to 48 seconds. 20 to 10, Colorado leads Nebraska. They have waited a long time for this. So many times, the red flood has come into Folsom Field, and they have gone back across the border to the north, the winner. It won't be this time. The Stories. Prukop to the corner for Carrington, intercepted! Colorado got it! Witherspoon! With the biggest play in Colorado football for years! And now, as a supplement to over 40 years worth of CU football coverage in the CU at the Game archives, here is Stewart with his CU at the Game podcast. Greetings, Buff fans from CU at the Game. This is Stuart Whitehair, publisher and editor for the CU at the Game website, and now your host for the CU at the Game podcast. Welcome to our sixth episode of this, our first season of the podcast, and our second attempt at a mailbag. I'm joined by my best friend and best man, Brad Geiger, and we're going to answer several of your questions. We're going to talk about the current status of college football and the different options which are being discussed for getting in the 2020 campaign, the concerns surrounding the CU recruiting class of 2021 in light of the unprecedented wave of early commitments from the class, and Brad will take a look at my offerings to date for my top 40 games of the past 40 years and let us know which of those games should not have made the list and which of those games should have been ranked higher. I hope you will enjoy the questions and our answers. Okay, it's mailbag time, and I'm here with Brad. Hi, Brad. How are you doing today? Doing great in these weird times, but getting used to working from my dining room table. Yes, the the litigating champ of Highlands Ranch. Is that uh, that the title you you go by these days? Well, there are no courts, Sergo. There is little litigation to do, but, uh, you know, we are at least plugging away at it. Well, we did get some questions for the mailbag, and just as a reminder to anyone that's interested, um, just see you at the game at Gmail. Um, send any questions, comments, concerns, all of the above, always welcome. Uh, the first question we've got is for Brad here uh, from Confused in Boulder. There are so many conflicting reports out there on when football will slash can slash should should return. Larry Scott seems to believe that there will be football, as do the commissioners of other conferences. Yet the head of the NCAA, Mark Emmert, says no sports without students being back on campus. Best guess, one month after your last best guess, how will this all sort itself out? Well, uh, you know, first of all, you're never going to find me agreeing with Mark Emmert on much of things. But um, we've got... I remain confident that there will be some version of football in 2020, perhaps on into 2021. I think the big change and the thing that we have to start thinking about is, are all schools going to be able to participate? Um, Remembering that state schools in New York or California being, of course, the one nearest to our heart, may not be allowed to do it, that their governors, their administration may not allow that to happen. So while I continue to think that we're going to have some sort of conference-based schedule, I begin to fear that the Pac-12 is going to be a conference without 
UCLA, Berkeley, uh, perhaps Washington or Oregon, um, depending on the status of each of those states. So it may be that we have to completely rearrange that schedule. I think it's becoming less and less likely that we're going to do the out-of-conference schedule, though. Um, I think that is the easiest sacrifice for conferences to make while still trying to get some of the money in to keep football and the other sports running. And there was some stories about Pac-12, you know, Clay Helton in his webinar uh, talked about that there were some discussions about a conference-only season for the Pac-12. Of course, that makes it easier for the Power 5 schools, but sitting here in Bozeman, Montana, uh, home of Montana State University, they have the University of Utah on their schedule for this year, which... You know, it's fine for Utah to blow off a non-conference game, but those schools, like Montana State, that's their money game. You know, that a good chunk of their budget comes from getting paid by a Power 5 schools to get beat up. Um, And there's going to be a lot of unfortunate consequences there. You know, well, Colorado State, they play Colorado and Oregon State this year. If they don't get to play those games... You know, how are they going to pay for that stadium uh, up in Fort Collins, especially missing out on a home game against CU, which would be their only sellout probably since they they opened the stadium. Uh, But there are no lacking uh, for opinions out there. And I think pretty much whatever position you'd want to take, you can find somebody that will support it. Um, I did like, um, well, I don't know if I liked it, but I thought it was amusing. You see what Paul Feinbaum um, the SEC guy, he works for ESPN, but he's the SEC guy, he wrote a book. Uh, you know, I think my conference can beat up your conference or something to that effect. I mean, he's definitely an SEC guy. And he was quoted after Mark Emmert put out his statement. Mark Emmert has no more authority or influence over college football than does Bozo the Clown. He's an innocent bystander in all of this. And I think that's why he put out a statement. And he went on to say, Emmert has to be heard, so he was, but he was not heard very loudly because the Power Five commissioners don't give a rip. Um, so I think, you know, you're, you're right in thinking about the geography of all this. Uh, the SEC is going to play football. Um, Unquestionably. Now, Alabama will not sit out this season. Georgia will not sit out this season. That's not how it works. And those are states that are already reopening you know, whatever viewpoints you have of that politically and medically, yeah. there's just no chance that the SEC does not play some sort of football. And I think the Pac-12, unfortunately, the the worst off of the Power Five conferences is in the most vulnerable position. Um, and you're getting contradictory statements, you know, just from within. You've got the University of Oregon saying, yes, we're going to open for classes this fall. And the governor of Oregon saying, no large gatherings until at least October 1st. Um, you've got the state of California just today, and today being uh, May 12th, saying that they're not going to have some of their schools have any uh, anything but online classes this fall. And the report I saw said it didn't necessarily affect UCLA and Berkeley, but it did affect schools like Fresno State, San Diego State, you know, the Mountain West schools in the state of California. 
And if they're not playing and they've got a non-conference game against a Power 5 school, well, then what do you do? Um, so um, you've got some people like, you know, Arizona State coach uh, Herm Edwards. He agreed with the NCAA president, Mark Emmert. He says that, you know, how can you justify saying that the schools are not safe for students to return, and yet the schools are safe for student athletes to return. He says it doesn't make any sense. So I think we're kind of stuck in the uh, stay tuned category here, at least as we sit here in the middle of May 2020, that there are as many opinions as there are days left before camp could start, which hopefully will be mid-July. Um, if we don't have players at least practicing or at least getting to the point where they can practice by mid-July, there aren't going to be games Labor Day weekend. That's just the reality of it. And I think, you know, and again, this is going to be very state-based. Um, there are states like Alabama where the tail wags that dog. Arizona is not that. And certainly California has never been that. Um, and, you know, Colorado is not that either. You know, CU football is not going to determine what the governor says about large gatherings. Yeah. So we'll just have to wait and see. But, yeah, I think that uh, the, there might be some long-term ramifications as far as the power of the NCAA. Uh, if you've got some schools that are going to play regardless and some schools that are prohibited from playing, how that impacts the NCAA's authority and how that's going to impact, you know, bowls, how it's going to impact non-conference games, how it's going to impact the national championship, uh, all to be determined. Well, all right. Well, let's see. Moving on from Jim A. I know it's a busy time for recruiters. But I'm interested in the new staff and whether they can grab some momentum with a few top recruits to get going this year. Will most students wait until they can get on campus to commit? Well, first, I'd like to give a shout out to Jim A. Um, I've never met Jim, but we have corresponded a great deal over the years. He is a teacher of fifth grade English in Thailand. And for those of you that have seen or participated in the see you at photo contest over the years uh, we've had see you at the great china wall we've had see you at the sydney opera house we've had see you in thailand see you in vietnam courtesy of uh, jim and his family so shout out to jim um, for contacting me and sending in a question uh, as far as see you recruiting not good news um, at this stage the question is, are things pretty much slowed down, pretty much not going on because um, players aren't getting to campus? But according to 24-7 Sports, this has been the busiest time for commitments in memory. Um, as of May 6th, as the date of the story, and I'll post a, a link to this on the website, 627 commitments through May 6th last year at this time, May 6th, there were 302 committed players. The year before, it was 243. So there are more commitments this year as of May 6th than there were the last two years combined. 
Um, and 424 of those 627 commitments were made after the shutdown. So we've got players that are scrambling to find a home. And that is an interesting prospect, especially considering the fact that the University of Colorado has, as we speak today on May 12th, two commitments. Um, you look at schools like USC has 11 commitments and nine of them are four-star commitments. You could probably go back the last decade to find, you know, find nine four-star commitments for the University of Colorado. USC already has nine in May. Michigan State, if you're wondering about our good friend Midnight Mel, his school right now, Michigan State, is ranked 23rd with 11 commitments, uh, including a Texas quarterback that it, you know, CU had offered. Now, I don't know how, you know, how hard CU was recruiting that quarterback, but they got a quarterback out of Texas for Michigan State. Uh, recorded, recruited by one Mel Tucker. So uh, as far as the numbers are concerned, the fact that we're not able to get players on campus, um, it's certainly hurting CU. It's not apparently hurting other schools at this point. Now, that being said, the same story speculated that we might have a record number of decommitments come this summer if we can actually get students to take official visits whether they get to the school that they committed to and don't actually like it as much or the coaches don't like them as much um, they're speculating that there might be a record number of decommitments this fall a number of uh, shuffling of chairs if you will um, of those players that committed because they were scared to not commit uh, but if those commitments hold then CU is in a pretty deep hole right now in terms of the recruiting class of 2021. Well, I mean, you know, recruiting is judging the mentality of, you know, 17-year-old young men um, and their parents. There's simply no way for anyone to feel confident about what's going to happen or what's going to go on. And I think it's at least reasonable to speculate that in that kind of circumstance, kids are going to look at established programs. They're going to look at probably programs close to home. I haven't looked at the UCLA commitments, but I suspect that they're doing better with California than they have recently. Um, you know, people are conservative in times of great stress and uncertainty. Picking a coach who has no reputation in the college game um, who came in late, who you don't know what offense they're going to run or what they're going to happen is not the conservative choice at this time. Um, and, you know, none of us thought that this first recruiting class was going to be a knockout of the park. Um, we were always going to have to find uh, diamonds in the rough. Um, it may be even more challenging to do that now. Yeah. On the other hand, if everybody is rushing to commit, um, you've got to hope that some of those potential diamonds in the rough um, are going to slip past. If UCLA's got nine four-stars, they're not going to look for unheralded three-stars. Um, and so we're going to have to – we always knew that this staff was going to have to get lucky. Um, now it's probably going to have to be even more so um, because – Boulder sells. If you can't get folks to Boulder, then you're trying to sell a losing program with a new coach. 
Yeah, you've got a program that said one winning season in these students' lifetime. Um, and yes, it's, you know, it's a hard sell at this point. It might be a saving grace that this was supposed to be, or this will be a small recruiting class anyway, um, just because of the numbers. It was not likely to be a full 25 student class. Uh, it's almost impossible for it to be unless there's a huge amount of attrition from the existing roster. So it might be that this recruiting class of 2021 is just going to be kind of a, a wash. And like you say, you can try and find a couple of diamonds in the rough, try and find a couple of people that will slot into the areas that are going to be the you know thinnest on the depth, depth chart and just kind of accept it and start working on the class of 2022. Um, let's go to name, image, and likeness. Uh, yes, uh, this is from Todd in Evergreen. The NCAA has put out its name, image, and likeness recommendations, but with everything else going on, it doesn't seem to be getting much attention. Is this a game changer or much ado about nothing? What do you well, think? I have actually, and I think this makes me somewhat unusual, I've actually gone and read the recommendations rather than stories about the recommendations, um, which is kind of fascinating. Um, they are at best vague. They are more a series of potential milestones and principles than they are an actual proposal. Um, and, of course, they haven't been approved and they haven't been adopted and they haven't been created into the rules that the NCAA so dearly loves. Um, if you read the principles, they are ones that I think most people would agree with. Um, but given that the devil remains deeply in the details, it is not much to do about nothing. It is obviously the NCAA trying to preempt state legislators um, and pretend that they're out in front of a issue that they have been far behind for at least 30 years. Um, it is a start. It is an acknowledgement that this is going to happen. The question is, is it going to be anything like what these principles state? And the nice part about those principles is that they are so broad, everything will look that like that principle and look nothing like it. So it is, it, it is not even the end of the beginning. It is the middle of the beginning with much left to be determined. Yeah, I would tend to agree with that, that um, the goal for the NCAA to try and put something out there is to try and get Congress to get involved, which is, you know, one of those God help you type of things. You really want Congress to be in charge of this, but you can't have 50 different regulations you can't have 50 different sets of rules there's going to have to be some national consensus as to how this is going to work and i don't see that having anyone being happy about it right now um, the ones that want more saying it's not gone too far or has gone far enough you know others are saying you've already given up the whole the whole store here um, it's going to be chaos um, as soon as this legislation gets adopted. Um, it's another test for the NCAA. You know, will even the NCAA survive this? Uh, will it help prompt the Power Five or some version thereof 
to split off and form their own top 64 or top 48. Uh, I think it's, again, it's certainly not much to do about nothing. I agree with you on that. And I also agree with you that it is not in final form by even the remotest stretch of the imagination, but it is something definitely worth paying attention to and keeping track of because uh, it is going to become a reality sooner rather than later. And it's going to have a very large impact on collegiate sports. And we're not talking about just the Jeremy Blooms or the gymnast or the swimmer that can make some money off their name, image, and likeness. We're talking about how it's going to affect recruiting at the Power 5 level. And it's a it's a real slippery slope and bears paying attention to over the next nine months or so until we hopefully have some sort of finalized uh, proposal from the NCAA. Well, and I think this is the one circumstance where the NCAA gets a, a pause because of the current other crisis. Um, yes, it's important. And were we not in the midst of all the other discussions we're having, I think he would have been moving to the top of Congress's evaluation. Um, I think they're a bit distracted from that now yeah. and will be for a while. And, you know, of course, there's something going on in November that may affect this as well. So I think the NCAA has quite reasonably determined that, hey, we can probably breathe until the beginning of next year. Um, but any later than that, and they are going to quickly lose control of the narrative. Yeah. So Jim A, again, coming in, has a process question, which I think is important. Um, how do they determine to put on rush on for recruits? What is the process most schools go through in IEDing potential buffs, contacting them, looking at film recommendations, campus visits, etc.? Well, uh, I think the the biggest or the most useful way or tool that coaches are using now are, are summer camps, which of course are not happening this summer. Um, but now that's where they're getting ninth graders, 10th graders, juniors coming in that they can evaluate and get to know. And that's where you build those relationships. And really that's what it comes down to. I mean, there, you know, there's the huddle.com. You can look at highlights and things like that. You know, and coaches certainly would do that, but, you're getting to the point where everybody knows everything about anybody, you know, to have a real sleeper five star uh, that just that animal just doesn't exist um, in today's recruiting world. And certainly it helps see you to have Darren Cheverini back, not only for recruiting, but as the offensive coordinator, you have your defensive coordinator, Tyson Summers back. So you have some continuity there in terms of relationships and recruiting. I think you just need to look no further than, you know, CU's class of 2020 um, had two players from Mississippi and two players from Georgia and, you know, our Ashad Clayton from Louisiana. Uh, those are all because of relationships that those coaches had with those players. And it wasn't, you know, those weren't relationships that were built from December until two weeks later when they signed or in January and February when they signed, these were relationships that had been built up over the years. And that's why CU was getting players from Georgia and Mississippi and Louisiana is because those coaches on the CU staff 
were had known these players since they were you know 16 15 years old and that's a lot of how those relationships are built and now you know recruiting staffs have full-time assistants you know that are breaking down film and getting film from high schools and talking with coaches and dealing with recruiting outlets and things like that so it's a it's a major business now and it's the summer camps where you get the offers because that's when the players come in and the coaches can actually sit with the player talk to the player actually put eyeballs on the player and say okay this is not just film this is not just puff you know and fluff that we're getting from their high school coach this is a prospect that we really want to have you know come to boulder um Unfortunately for CU, it's not so much on campus visits in terms of official visits as much as we'd like it to be. Uh, if you were looking at like the old Big Eight, you know, Boulder, Colorado, okay, most of the people listening to this have been to Boulder, Colorado. Now compare that to Ames, Iowa, Lincoln, Nebraska, Lawrence, Kansas, Manhattan, Kansas, Columbia, Missouri, Norman, Oklahoma, Stillwater, Oklahoma. Now, if it was just based upon the campus, CU should have dominated the Big 7 and Big 8 and probably a good chunk of the Big 12. Um, So it's more than just the aesthetics of the campus, if it were just that. And we've heard every coach, I've heard every coach since Bill McCartney say, if I can get them to Boulder, I can sign them. You know, get them to campus, show them what campus is like, show them the facilities we have now. but there's obviously more to it, and I think the fact that CU now has a national reputation as a losing program is going to be a dead weight. It's going to be an anchor on the program for the foreseeable future. Mm-hmm. Well, and, you know, the, the problem now is, like it is with the rest of everything we do, is the, the glut of information. Every kid has his picture, his videos on YouTube. Every kid has some advisor who's sending out videos or links to recruiters. Um, and so it's a sorting process. It's so challenging for coaches um, and trying to figure out you know, what this kid looks like now and how it goes from there. And what is he going to look like a year from now if he puts on 40 pounds and that kind of thing. Um, you're just inundated with the amount of information. Um, and so while in some ways you know more, as we all know, sometimes knowing more does not mean you understand as much. And the ability of a coach to fear and to sort through that stuff is incredibly challenging. And you know, hopefully, again, in CU's favor is that somebody's going to find somebody that if he had 50 pounds more or that kind of thing can come in and play. But you're right. There's no, there are no five stars out there that nobody has seen the, the kid playing eight man footballs on YouTube. Yeah. You know, and if you know he's running away from everybody else, then you have to try to evaluate that in context. So it's so challenging to just figure out who you even begin to look at. And that's where relationships with high school coaches relationships with you know high school conferences that kind of thing begin to matter and that's and again in the end it still matters who you know 
Yeah. And how you do that. And then figuring out how kids fit in your system. And we, of course, don't know what the CU system is yet. So that even makes it harder. Yeah. And yeah, it gets down to, you know, not only the coach, you, you know, talk about, you know, assistant coaches. And I think, you know, my interview with Darren Cheverini last summer, he talked about, you know, getting to know janitors and, you know, assistant principals that, you know, the coach will see it, you know, the high school coach will see their players through a certain lens, whereas other individuals, and it might be an aunt or it might be, you know, a teacher that will give you a clue as to what this kid is really made of and whether or not it's really an individual that you, you want to pursue. And that takes time and it takes a lot of work. And we do have a very good recruiting staff, at least on paper. Uh, we just have to have the ability to get them out there to recruit. And we'll see if we can get that going. Well, on a kind of similar note, Steve in Kansas City um, mentions, and this was very well-known, the 62-36 game was on the Pac-12 network Saturday night. And Steve had a dominant team of NFL-quality players on both sides of the ball. Why hasn't CU been able to return to that level for the past decade and a half? What will it take to get there? And this is, I think, an interesting addition to it. Was it a mistake to leave the Big 12? Well, I think just the fact that Steve is from Kansas City gives you an indication of how he's uh, perceiving that question. Um, yes, if we were in the Big 12, it would be a lot easier for Steve to get to CCU games. Uh, I don't think it was a mistake uh, to leave the Big 12. I mean, it certainly looks at it from a one-loss standpoint in the last decade of being in the big in the Pac-12. Uh, but in terms of academics, in terms of culture, I think everyone agrees that the Pac-12 was a much better fit uh, for the University of Colorado. Now, if there is some sort of tectonic plate shifting going on here in the next couple of years in terms of realignment and CU becomes part of some reconfigured uh, Big 12, as long as Texas isn't part of it, I'm okay with it. Uh, <laughs> Because if it's Texas and everybody else, that's why we left, you know, the Big 12 is that, you know, Texas wanted to have its own contract, have its own TV network, um, and didn't want to play nice with others. But even Texas might see the benefit going forward of, you know, everything working as, uh, you know, a unified front. But getting back to the question, I mean, will we ever have NFL quality players again? Yes, I think we can. Will we? have dominant uh, lines at some point. I don't see why we can't. Um, we need to expand our recruiting footprint. Uh, there's some stories about how the decline of the number of players, uh, play, you know, in the state of California in particular, there's a decline in the number of high school kids that are playing football. And, you know, a lot of the higher quality players are being poached by Ohio State and Clemson and Alabama, and there's a drain of talent on the West Coast, and it's getting harder for the Pac-12 schools to compete, and they're going to have to reach out. And that was something that you know excited us about the Mel Tucker regime is being able to recruit in SEC country, and maybe Colorado will be able to do that. Certainly, we have to you know have a big presence in Texas. Um, so, 
Short answer is can see you. Uh, long answer, is it going to happen in the immediate future? Um, I'd like to think we're working towards that. I like to think that this roster is probably one of the better ones we've had since 2016. But uh, the proof is in the pudding. You have to actually win some games, and we don't know if this coaching staff can do that. Um, but I'm going to leave the last one for you, Brad, because it's actually directed towards you. Uh, this is from Roger T., uh, Stewart is now halfway through his list of top 40 favorite games. Which of those listed are ranked too high? Which are ranked too low? Wow. And and, and for our, our listeners, um, See You at the Game is a labor of genius and love by my friend Stewart. And so I would never disagree with his favorite games, or nor would I presume to judge his memory of them oh sure um, go ahead <laughs> <laughs> um it is it was interesting for me to go through them um you know the game that has already been mentioned in the top 40 was honestly one that i had almost completely forgotten about and i think that's more about denial than anything else was the 5143 aloha bowl win oh. um you know that was played late it was not you know it was a high scoring game but I've got to tell you, trying to remember one highlight of it is not one I recall. Um, and, you know, a lot of that is me probably getting rid of all memories of Rick Neuheisel and what went on. So while I understand why it's there, it's a bowl game. And it was exciting at a time when bowl games were very exciting to us. I don't know that that would have made my list. Uh -huh. um, the one that would be higher for me and again, because this is favorite games, would be uh, the one that you just did, number 22, the 41-20 uh, win over Texas A&M. Um, and that was made special because of where we were and how we watched it. I have a very clear memory of standing on the sideline of that game, uh, of the warm-ups for that game. And you know, it, it is, you talk about being overwhelmed by the size of the players um at one point we were standing there just talking and watching them run and they were just running a play and hugh charles came past us and the speed of that i mean hugh was never going to impress anybody with his size but the speed at which he running three quarters appeared and then was gone it, if you've never been on the ground at a division one football and watched those athletes up close and realized that they are somewhat less than human it was it's an astonishing thing to do and then to go up and watch it from the press box and see people that we recognize um and having to try to respect the there's no cheering in the press box <laughs> which for me is an astonishing act of self-restraint that i only partially succeeded at that game would uh in terms of my favorites, be in the top 10. That yeah. was an astonishing day in Boulder. And the fact that my uncle, um, who has been a massive CU fan for literally most of my life, was also honored that day. It was, uh, it was truly an amazing day and one that I will treasure forever. Yeah, it was uh, a funny. Unfortunately, CU... When the, we spent the first half in the press box, and C went out to a 21 to nothing lead in the first quarter. So we were able to 
have a little restraint because we were winning the game and we did not have to, you know, yell at the referees from, you know, up in the press box or do anything else that might get us kicked out of the press box. Um, and we also got to go to the press conference after the game, you know, the, having the access to just watch how that unfolded um, was fun. And again, yes, Uncle Fred, your Uncle Fred, my adopted Uncle Fred. Uh, <laughs> he, he would take you. There is no doubt about that. <laughs> um, you know, getting to see, you know, him and his lovely bride, you know, be honored as donors of the game. It just happened that way. It was certainly not something we had any say on or we had any planning or preparation for. It just happened that work. We got to be on the field at the same time with the, as that was going on. Um, yes. And, you know, certain games will always stand out. The game itself was a blowout and a wonderful win for CU. But why it made my favorite list, and it might not make other people's all-time best game lists, um, was certainly because of, you know, our, our ability to have access to the press box and to watch some of the game down on the field. It was, uh, as you say, one of those memorable games that, you know, you and I will talk about for, for years to come. Yeah. It, uh, you know, we have, we have been lucky, um, and CU football has played such a role in our lives, but that one, that one was a day. Yeah. Well, we're going to have to leave it at that. Uh, thank you, sir, for participating again in the See You at the Game mailbag. And while we are waiting for word on how, when, and under what conditions football may be played again, um, we will try and do another mailbag in the month of June. And so, again, anybody that wants to uh, put any questions out there, we would certainly welcome that, as well as any comments on the podcast itself um this is a new thing for for us and so it's going to evolve over time and your suggestions comments and questions are certainly welcome so my thanks to brad stay well stay safe we'll talk with you soon take care my friend and until then go buffs thank you for being a part of the see you at the game podcast there will be a companion piece to this podcast posted on the website with links to the games and articles which are mentioned in today's podcast. This is our first season, and we are continuing to tinker with formats and content. Your comments, suggestions, and critiques are welcome. Just drop me an email at seeyouatthegame at gmail.com with your thoughts. I would also like to ask your and your assistance in growing the podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast at your favorite sites like Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. We will, perhaps in the very near future, have a better idea as to the future of collegiate athletics and be able to focus more on lineups and opponents for your buffs. In the meantime, we will continue to alternate between our mailbag and road trip segments. Up next, probably getting posted around the 1st of June, will be our second road trip memory. This time looking back at our trip to Seattle in 1989, when the undefeated and fifth-ranked Buffs took on the 21st-ranked Huskies and did so the week after losing their leader, Salinesi, to cancer. It was an emotional and rainy afternoon. Until then, go Buffs! Thank you for listening to our See You at the Game podcast. For links to articles and stories referenced in this podcast, 
go to cuatthegame.com. That's the letter C, the letter U, atthegame.com. If you have comments or suggestions, you can leave them on the website or send an email to cuatthegame at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to subscribe and share it with your fellow Buff fans. Until next time, when we will again see you at the game.